Hey everyone, Aaron Noonan here. Welcome again to the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. Great to have you with us. Thank you for your ongoing support of our pod. You're passionate, you're enthused, you're all about motorsport. That's what we are. We love having you listen. Don't forget to subscribe to the pod so you don't miss out on any episodes. We love to hear your reviews and your thoughts, so please review through your favourite pod apps. Send us notes through our website or our socials. We really appreciate hearing from you. Now, this episode is part two of my chat with Marcus Marshall. And on this part, we talk about one of the topics that everyone springs to mind with Marcus is his time in Champ Car, driving with Team Australia. We talk about how he got the drive for 2005, and we talk about how he lost the drive in 2005. It was all over before the end of that year's Champ Car World Series. We cover off his time in Australia racing in V8 supercars, and he opens up about inter-racing, the V8 supercar team he was heavily involved in uh, in 2009 that, well, it closed just as quickly as it opened. We also talk about where we might see him racing in the next few years, and he deals with a couple of our special uh, special segments. What's in your cupboard? With, the, with thanks to our friends at the Motorsport Trader and the National Motor Racing Museum Couch Racer Questions. Your chance to fire questions in. We ask them, and our guest answers them. It's a very, very simple formula. So here we go. Buckle up. Time to start part two of Marcus Marshall on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. Wasn't it later that year that you did a a Formula 3 race because the local category supported the Gold Coast um, Indie Surfers event. So wasn't it a case then that that was that weekend that you had a run in that, that you started pounding the pit lane of champ cars and you ended up having a test with, I think it was, was it Dale Coyne's team in at Sebring at the end of that year, the white car, I, I remember, Alola? I did, yeah, car 19, infamous car 19. It's, um, I um, How that came about was, I actually read in Motorsport News that Kevin Kalkoven was prepared to fund half the budget if an Australian was found, an Australian driver was found that could come and race in Champ Car in the World Champ Car World Series. So as soon as I read that, I was onto it. I thought, right, I love you know um, Champ Cars, and um, and I've been growing up in surface and watching them come. To Surface Paradise every year, and uh, being a little kid, sort of sitting there in awe of watching these guys, and um, it was a pretty big deal in those days. It was like Formula One back in the day, really, and coming to Surface Paradise every year. And um, I read in Motorsport News it's about Kevin Calcoven, who was a part owner in the Champ Car World Series at the time, and he's actually an expat Australian, and um, he was a wealthy venture capitalist out of sort of made his money out of um, Silicon Valley and um, I got to him through James at IMG um, and James he basically set me up with Kevin Calcoven at the at the indie round and this is, this and is James O'Brien from IMG at the time who James O'Brien la- yeah. later you know got the, the Easter racing back at Bathurst and had the 12 hour for for quite a few years before he sold it on to supercars. That's right, yep. yeah. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, James helped me out there and got me involved with Kevin Calcoven. And then I thought, right, what are we going to do? Because I had also that year I had PWR I was racing for. They weren't Team Brock anymore. Mm. So I had a great drive there as well, which stand down went okay. With Bathurst, Matthew White, been the chassis and qualifying, and so we didn't get to race. But, um, 
So I thought that Indy, I thought, well, I want to go on. Well, if I wanted to impress Kevin Kalkoven, I should race Formula 3 in Australia because they got around there. So I got on to, um, to the BRM in Adelaide yep, yep. and got, got a seat there in that car and I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. And um, we did uh, 20 laps or something in Queensland Raceway before we went up there. And this chassis was actually the previous year's chassis to the Delara that I'd driven in England. So famously, that chassis in England in 2004 was the latest car. It was they were very nervous to drive and very small increments on the front wing where you adjust the front wing and it would make a massive adjustment. But the chassis before that, was a really forgiving car. And when I got in that car, Queensland Raceway, I just thought, this is the bee's knees. It was like <laughs> a former Ford. And I wish I'd done Class B then. I thought I should have done it in England. I should have raced Class B. And I would have won it. And it just, it was, I would have won it. But, you know, it was, it was tough. Class B over there is just as tough as Class A. But it was a, um, wasn't a country box, it was a manual box. And got in that car and then yeah, qualifying and then qualified in the wet on pole by two and a half seconds. Won every race by seven or eight seconds. Made a good impression on um, Kevin Kalkoven and he said to me, Rodeo, he said, um, what I want you to do is I want you to come over and do a test day um, and we'll do an evaluation day. So we do two-day tests and one of the days will be an evaluation and basically the whole thing was an evaluation test all done by Kevin Kalkoven, so for me. So um, I went off to, Stewie and I went off to America, flew over to America that year, and I went to a, this place in California called Millionaire, and um, it was a, a, it's the private jet, and we went in there and I met with Kevin Kalkoven and Paul Newman. Sat down there casually with them and had a chat. <laughs> right, just 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 go cool hand Luke, just old uh, Paul Newman, you know, one of the most famous <laughs> actors in the world, part owner of Newman Haas Racing, uh, yeah. you know, long time racer himself. Yeah, just with Paul hanging out, you know. Yeah, oh, sure did. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't wait to tell his mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was that was awesome. And then we met, we met with them, and then he showed us through his private jets and stuff, and we we're like, oh man. There's all this stuff, you know. Check out my Gulfstream G5 and oh, this is my Hawker. This is just my spare one. This is all Kevin Kalkoven stuff. And so, yeah, we stayed in California that night and flew on to Florida. Maybe we did a two-day test and I really gelled with that car and that team. And I felt so comfortable in that car and I was like, they had a guy there, Michael Volante, I think his name was. Yep, yep. Uh, Michael Volante, and I think I was three-tenths off his best time. He'd already done a season in Champ Carl was trying to do a season or something like that. I forget exactly, but he was he was a hot shot to they evaluated me off, and then um, I come home sort of thinking, well, somehow I've got to be able to do this deal, which is Kevin was going to pay for half, and someone else had to pay for the other half. And what are we talking here? How what sort what's half? How much you got to find here? Oh, you have to find sort of. Somewhere around one point five million. Yeah, yeah. So he was going to put in seven hundred fifty thousand. Need to find another seven hundred fifty thousand. So there's big money. <laughs> 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 he just come out of Formula Ford and Carrera Cup and had sponsors paying 
you know, bits and pieces here and there, 150K, 200, and I was prof- semi-professional, you know. Like, I had a little bit going on. I was making a few bucks. And then all of a sudden, now I've got to find all this money. Um, and I didn't have to, but imagine it was a pretty um, big carrot for me. Mm. And um, anyway, so we went off into Christmas. I went down to Tasmania for a holiday and um, to have a bit of a think about things and got a phone call from a guy who um, was sort of um, representing Craig Gore. And Craig Gore was a property developer here on the Gold Coast. And um, he, at the time, wanted to um, go indie car racing, champ car racing, and they were chasing me. So he said he's going to start this big new big team called Team Australia, and um, yeah, the rest was history. So were you thinking you were going? To, you were trying to find a budget to drive for Dale Coin, or were you going to drive for Cal Coven, or the test just happened? For Dale, with Dale Coin, yeah, because yeah. Cal Coven didn't have his team by then. I no, think. I think he, uh, yeah, I think he was a partner in it, but he might not have had a seat. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. There, it was very quiet. I charged because he owned half the series, so it's a bit of a, bit of a conflict of interest there. But um, um, yeah. So he, uh, Craig, then basically, um, yeah, just offered me the deal because at the time I was pretty lucky that he had James Courtney had just come over to Australia and signed with Stone Brothers. Had Will Power was racing in um, the Euro Series and a World Series, by Euro. yeah, yeah, World yep. Series by Renault. And you had Will Davison, who just within doing a one Grand Prix to sign with DJR, I think, or with someone in V8 or O5. And so, all the big names that you could think of Briscoe, sorry, doing something in IndyCars, I think, then or something. Um, all the big names were all taken off, and I was the only bloke that was left on the international scene that had seemed to be doing something and that win in British F3. And then my win at Indy um, sort of really sort of helped me get that drive. And so Team Australia became uh, – it was basically Walker Racing, Derek Walker's team who had been in IndyCar for a long time. It was yourself, uh, Alex Tagliani, the French-Canadian driver who'd driven for uh, Jerry Forsyth before that. Um, green and gold cars, Team Australia banner, Craig Gore was a, a partner, sponsor, all, all of that. So I guess you, you've gone from, I need to find 750 grand to get this seat in champ car to suddenly there's an Aussie bloke, who another one who wants me in here, we can do a deal, I'm going to drive a champ car. And did that just take away the need to find some money and you're going to get paid and this all swings around the other way? Yeah, that's basically what happened. It's pretty crazy, huh? It's a crazy Tassie holiday. Yeah, it was a crazy Tassie holiday, I tell you. But, um, you know, looking back on it all, that that intersection and that fork in the road with me doing Super Cup and doing Formula 3, it was it all of a sudden turned it around to, you know, commercially it's a lot harder because open wheelers, you basically just got to have big investors behind you mm. um, or your parents. Um, who are investing in you as well, really, at the end of the day, um, especially at that level because that's sort of, you know, pre-Formula 1. And um, if I hadn't taken that route and stayed on the sports car route, I reckon I'd still be racing sports cars today. Mm. Mm. But 
that's just the choice I made. Yeah, and I didn't life. have any, yeah, it's life. I didn't have a manager or someone that wanted to guide me in that way. I just was on a journey, basically. Basically. And what, a journey, man. What, what were those jam cars like to drive? Because, of course, the by that stage, the series wasn't quite where it had been with all the engine manufacturers. A lot of the big names had departed to go to uh, the Indy Racing League, but it was still a really competitive series. The Aussie race was still huge. Uh, the cars were fast, you know. Ford Cosworth, what were they, 2.6 litre? They were oh, 800 horsepower, something along those lines. What were those things like to drive? Because there's not very many Australians who've driven a full season of Indy slash champ car to be able to answer the question. You did. What were they What were they like mm. to drive? Oh, they were a beast. Uh, absolute beast of a thing. And imagine I come from Formula 3, which, you know, when I first went to British for F3, my first two-day tear, I couldn't hold my head up uh, out of the cockpit of the car because I come from Carrera Cup. But then one day at Pembury, and then the second day at Pembury, I basically... As soon as I would stop and kind of slow down, my head would just go limp and go to the side of the <laughs> chassis. And uh, that's how much aero there is in an F3 car, um, especially over there and at Pembury. That circle's fast. And then when I went into the champ car, you imagine how much more downforce it's got, how physically hard it was to drive. I had no power steering at all, and they had no sequential. Well, they had a sequential gearbox, but they had, didn't have a paddle shift. And um, look, most races I'd end up with my hands were bleeding and, um, you know, like they're aggressive, fast, and the tracks over there are cement and bitumen. A lot of it's street courses, they're bumpy. Um, yeah, mate, they were one hell of a car to drive. And at the end of the day, I just I was never ready, ready for it. You, you, did you go into it thinking oh, I'm a bit underbaked here, or were you positive mindset? Oh, totally. I'll be right. I'll be right. Or did you totally? Yeah, I was in there. I was. I wasn't ready for it. A little bit underbaked, but I'll be right as well. <laughs> 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 all, all that at once because I had the opportunity. I mean, if I said no to it, I probably would have regretted it. Yeah, yeah. It was too good yeah. a chance to, to say no to. I didn't have anything else at the time. No one else was ringing me saying that they wanted me to come race their V8 supercar or anything like that. But there, all there was, but there wasn't. You know, like oh. PWR wanted me to come and drive for them. Yeah. At the time, but <clears throat> but that would have entailed probably bringing some money too. So who knows? You know, there wasn't a wasn't a paid drive yet, but I wasn't quite at that stage yet. So yeah. What was your? I think your um. You had an eighth at Edmonton and a ninth on the Oval at Las Vegas, which by that stage, Champ Car was very much a, a road and street course championship. The Ovals had pretty much nearly all disappeared. But how did you find the, the concept of, of Oval racing in those cars? Because I imagine it's completely different to anything that you've done before or oh, since. My, the Milwaukee, Milwaukee Mile, that's what I did first. And we went there because we, we had a lull. As our, our cars turned up. Uh, they were like, nearly two, three weeks before the first race and we had basically bugger all spares or anything. We weren't ready at all. And we only had one car at the start of the season and then they built two. And then so what happened is because when you go into the ovals and you have an oval spec car, 
the um, the oval spec car basically wasn't um, well. We didn't have one. <laughs> we only had one for we only had one for Alex in Lola, and then they had they had Reinhardt though. Which and that Reinhardt that was, was tricky. Kind of great. That was tricky because oh. they went they went bust. Reinhardt had gone bust some years earlier, so there was right. no development for them or upgrades. Or I think Derek had tried to take had had taken over the North American distributorship, mm. but the company had gone bust, so everyone jumped ship to Lola basically. And if you didn't have a Lola, right. you, you weren't much of a chance. That's right. That Reinhardt though, that was the coolest car I think I've ever driven. Really? Yeah, yeah. The seating position in it, you just get in it, and it just feels like a proper race car. The Lola's are terrible. They just they were shocking. The Lola was difficult. The steering was down around your knees. You, you felt like felt awkward in it. Um, the 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 Reynard, I wish at, at Milwaukee we did a two day test, and it was just an absolute rocket ship, and it was quite quick. And then um, the Lola, when we turned up to the race, when we had two Lolas, Alex and I, we were both a little dead last. And I mean last. And we got lapsed like four times. And, mate, it was a tough, tough, tough race, I tell you. It was scary. Scary. Because <laughs> the cars just weren't right at all. And, um, and I mean, Alex went down four laps the same as me. Um, yeah, so I'm really looking back on it now. I wish I got to race the Reynard. They finished fourth the year before with Mario. Um, so they, um, that, that was the car to be in, but unfortunately we just had to do, had to do with what I had. Mm. And, um, most of the season was like that. Like for me, it was physically really hard to drive. And, um, we always had this brake balance problem with whichever track we'd go to, we'd have this problem with locking fronts or rears. I could never get the car right. And my engineer at the time, he was actually just a, a shock absorber guy from Ireland. He was quite a good shock absorber guy from Ireland, but he'd never engineered a car before, but he engineered my car. And um, so we tried these brake pads, and we'd been had them on all year, and we'd forgotten about them. And um, I just remember now going to Montreal, and we went to Montreal, and because we I'd been quite slow through the year, some of the races, like I'd, you know, I had some good ones like the Edmonton 8 and stuff like that, but then... Some of the others weren't so great. I had a lot of pressure on me from Australia and and, um, and everyone here and uh, Craig Gore and all the sponsors and, you know, Qantas involved and Queensland government and, and I was feeling the pressure. And we went to Montreal and I remember the Saturday night we were still in the truck and it was 1 o'clock in the morning. And Alex had been struggling a bit as well, but they were really worried about my car. And we're trying to work it out, trying to work it out. And Alex just about to go home and he goes, what brake pads are you running? And I said, oh, 0303. And um, it, what we, he'd been running was 0103, which is what you even run on Fiat Supercars. We used to run 0103 with Paget. And I used to, basically what I had was soft front, soft rear. So you never get this balance right. So with the 01s, they're a lot harder. And the O threes are a lot softer, so we switched to the O one O three in Montreal and went out in the warm up on Sunday morning, and it was so wet. So I tell you, it's one of the scariest things I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of water and a champ car can pull up off the ground, 
and spray. It's just incredible. So I think I ended up fifth or seventh in the warm-up, somewhere around there, and I was right on pace with everyone all of a sudden. And I just felt like normal. Felt like I was back in the Formula Ford again. And I was just like, yeah, you're kidding me, aren't you? And um, that was the last race before we went to Service Paradise. And, and Service and then, was the, the one that the team expanded because Will Power came along and that was your last drive there, wasn't it, Team Australia, on the Gold Coast? It was, yeah. It was a bittersweet weekend. Did you, know going into that, did you know going into that 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 was it? You were going to be out after that? <laughs> no, I didn't have a clue. Didn't so, have a clue. So what happened? But I had had an inkling from a certain motorsport journalist, like yourself, but um, from Auto Action, and they told me that something was going to happen, but they didn't tell me I was going to get the sack. But um, basically, what happened is that we went there that weekend, and then I had heard through Auto Action that that Will Power was going to be driving one of the cars. So I said. Oh, that's interesting because my contract actually says that there's not to be another Australian driver in the team in 2005. So um, that's clearly stated in my contract. And the pressure I had on me and everything going on the week leading up and hearing all this and then just before on the Thursday, was it Wednesday night or Wednesday night? Because we used to run Thursdays then, Thursday, Friday. Um, on the Wednesday night, they did a news, um, this huge interview thing. And it was like every news, TV news reporter that you could hear from live six o'clock news. And it was Craig Gore and I and John Fish about to announce the driver for, and, and for their big announcement. And I didn't know that leading up to this. So we were, you know, I didn't know exactly. But I had a pretty good idea what was going on. I was about to be blindsided, and then um, yeah, that's what Will on the team, which I, I didn't have a problem with. But it was in my contract there wasn't being another Australian driver, and that um, you know all the effort was being put into him, and so on and so on, and they hadn't given me the chance really for the season. That basically it was a learning year, and you know. It was, weren't looking to go and win races or turn up as superstars, but all of a sudden at Indy, at Surface Paradise, they, they needed to. And you had a – did you have a two-year deal? Yeah, I had a two-year deal, yep. Yep, so post-Gold Coast, did you pull the pin, they pulled the pin, what happened? Uh, no, Craig Gore sacked me on the Monday morning. On the basis of and, what the results aren't good um, enough, or you're in breach of contract, or breach, breach of contract of um, what had happened is the Indy program. One of my sponsors had was a financial services company, <clears throat> and so was WPS, and but they was on the car as a sponsor as well. But what they did in the Indy program, they had a two page spread with their business and my signature on it, and then I approve it. Uh-huh. And that was the ad, and that's what got me. That's what lost it for me because he rang me on the way to Bathurst because that year I also raced um, Sandown 500 and Bathurst 1000 in the Team Australia that supercar. Mm, the WPS car with, with Alex, yep, yep. Yep, yep. So on the way to Bathurst, Greg rang me and he said, hey, did you approve this um, – thing in the, the indie program because it goes out quite early through the year 
you know, and I said, I said, I'll approve it. I don't know what you mean by approve it, but I'll, he says, well, it's got your signature on it. Yeah, I signed it. The response was there as well. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. Didn't say too much, but he just used that as an excuse to get me out of the team and get Will in, which is, at the end of the day, it's just fair enough because Will Power is one of my best mates. He still is. And he basically um, was so far ahead of me in experience in those sort of types of cars. He was ready for it. You know, he turned up ready for it. Like, he was already in. The, um, what's the Nissan, uh, the World Series by Nissan, wasn't it? I think. Uh, World Series by Renault. Well, Renault and Nissan. Well, World Series by Renault. That's yeah, it. Sorry, yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. 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 So World Series it? by Renault. He, he was in his second year in those cars. And he'd done former Holden as well. So in a car with, with big downforce and grip, he really had that um, experience. So mm. I don't blame him. No, I mean, look, you can only look at his resume since he's, you know, what he's, he's won the Indy 500. He's a, a multiple race winner in IndyCar. He's driven for Roger Penske for a decade. So clearly, to grab him before anybody else grabbed him was a call, but it was a call for them to make a business decision. But the way they, they kind of dealt with you was, was not how you would have, you know, it almost feels like you could have been sat down and said, look, this isn't working out. We want to go in a different exactly. direction. And you know, in life, you could probably cop that a little bit more. But to have a something like what well, it sounds like that they uh, use as a as the reason is is a bit of a shame. But nevertheless, yeah, ama- yeah, amazing, yeah. crappy way for it to end. But an amazing opportunity for you to to drive those cars to race. Um, you know, an Aussie Team Australia car on the Gold Coast, being a Gold Coaster. I mean, this is all of what eight years since you're driving in that RX four. I mean, yeah. You know, it's a pretty cool. Uh, pathway to, to get to that point. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. So Champ Car ends, uh, you're back to Oz, you drive for Paul Crookshank Racing in the Glenfords car in uh, 2006, and from that stage, you, you sort of your career's more back to, to Australia and, and the V8 supercar stuff, but you had a bit of a go in A1 Grand Prix, you got a podium at Sentel, uh, wasn't it, in Indonesia? Yep. Um, yeah, it was. In 06, yep. that, that year before the, the Crookshank thing started. You, you did another yep. year in Carrera Cup with Peter Fitzgerald's team. You, I think a lot of people probably forget that... Um, you drove for Larry Perkins' team for the Enduros in the Jack Daniels car, and then you actually ended up uh, <laughs> driving the end of that year because Jack Perkins had had his diabetes stuff quietly going on in the background, and he finally said, oh, this is too hard, I've got to step away, and and you're in the right place, and you, you drove for LP. Yeah, I did. Drove for LP. What a legend. Do me to tell you the story about how I met out, Larry? Go on. <laughs> oh, it was so good. So, uh, Barry Ryan, legend. He's a, he's a good guy. He got, he, I, I'd never actually met Barry Ryan before, but he was chasing me to drive for him. And um, so that year, 2007, I was in Porsche Carrera Cup, and I'd done some rounds for Matty White in the development series as well. And um, so I, um, Barry rang me and said, oh, about 
doing the enduros with them and stuff like that and, and you know, it's possibility and so on and so on. And he said, oh, look, we need to get you in the car at some stage. And he said, oh, yeah, well, um, he goes, oh, we're testing at Winton on whatever day it was and so were we with Matty, well, uh, Matthew White. So we will test it on the same day. So Matt White had built this brand new car and it was complete Matthew White spec car. I'm pretty proud of it, actually. So should he. It was, um, and it had no pedigree whatsoever. And um, it was the first time we ever, ever just the first brand new V8 supercar I've ever driven. And um, drove it around, went to Winton, turned up in the morning, started, went out just to go through a systems check and stuff. And then um, next minute I've all down the track. I've gone through the sweeper and, and um they're like oh, on the radio saying, mate, you got smoke, you got smoke. And I said, oh, shit, shit. So I got off the truck, off the racing line. I drove the whole way back off the racing line. And, um, yeah, so I yeah, drove the whole way back off the racing line. I had an oil line come off or something like that. And um, so I spilled a bit of oil on the track. Anyway, so Larry Perkins was there that day as well, testing. And I was just standing there talking to Matty White and, and you know, the morning had just gone, only sort of 10, 15 minutes had gone past, it was 9 15 or something like that. And I just see Larry come on running down, <laughs> running down pit lane. And I'm thinking, he's not coming down here to say good day. And he came in and he said, Who is that out there? And I said, It was me. He goes, Who would you be? <laughs> I said, I'm Marcus Marshall. He said, Yeah. He said, I won't swear. He said, um, he said, you're joking me. He said, we're looking for a smart driver, not a dumbass. <laughs> he said, you've all down most of the track. I, I said, look, I'm sorry, but all I'm come off from the boys and only got the wall warning light halfway around the circuit. The rest of the track I drove off line. Oh, Stephen Richards, that told me you drove off. You've driven around the whole trace track on the racing line and, and so on and so on. And I said, no, no, I didn't. Um, Sorry, I'm sorry. Anyway, he just went off, pop, pop, and the whole garage, like, you nearly, nearly lifted the roof off the place. It was hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious now. Not at the but, time. Um, anyway, we yeah, not at the time. We cleared up the cleared up the track, and I went out and I drove that car, and I tell you, it was the coolest car. It was the best feeling ever I've ever had in that supercar. And it was an actually, like, they just made me feel so comfortable, and down there in Barry Ryan, and, um, and all the boys at Perkins Engineering, and from the moment I walked in that door, they made me feel so comfortable. And I just got in that car and I drove around. Kane Scott was there, <clears throat> threw me out with some old pies. And I wasn't that comfortable inside, not exactly sitting in the car. But um, I pulled off some sort of crazy lap time that just it uh, just blew them all away, and they just went <laughs> right out. <laughs> we all sign you up, and so yeah. After all I did to the circuit and, and upset Larry, <laughs> you got to drive me up. I got to drive with him. So I saw well, the ugly side of him first up, uh, and after that, that was the best team we were driven for. It was just <laughs> so much fun. I loved it. It was very fortunate to, very very fortunate to have driven there, and I was very fortunate to give him the extra rounds there as well. Yeah, because Jack had stepped out of the car after Bahrain, so I think you did. Oh, what was it, Tasmania and, and Phillip Island to, to round out the year. So, um, yeah. Was there a, a key for you in that point where I reckon there was probably a, a part of your career by that stage where um, 
You drove the next year for Jason Bright's team, the Irwin car at Brightech. Were you at the point there where you felt like you had to take uh, responsibility, not responsibility, but if you're in charge of your own destiny, you're not just turning up and driving for someone else or bringing a budget or bringing a sponsor and it's their car, it's their team. You wanted to to do your own thing. I think your dad had looked at being involved in maybe buying DJR or Keys Wheels team and there was – Things reported yep. and things said, and uh, you know whether they happen, whatever happened. I'm not sure, but it didn't happen in the end, and, and deals didn't happen. But for '09, this inter racing thing started. You were running it. You had you, you mate, the late Keith Evers involved. Was that the stage where you went, all right? If I'm going to do something, I'm going to be in control here, rather than just being a, a driver for somewhere else or bringing the budget to someone else's business. I want to have my own thing, and at least I can be in control of it. And if it stuffs up, it's my fault. Or if we're not going well enough, at least I know that it's it's not you know it's not external influences. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jason Bright isn't you know poor bugger. Like zero uh, seven when I signed with him, that was looking great. Like that team, he had Ford factory backing. Um, he was. I thought, well, he must be dead serious about. You know, everything that they promised me must have been 100% because of um, he left SPR <laughs> to come and drive at his own team. And I was alongside him in the Irwin car. And I thought, what a great opportunity. And then, unfortunately, the GFC hit. And um, Ford pulled all their money out of the tennis. They pulled their money out of Ford. Uh, Ford, pulled, Ford pulled all their money out of um, yeah, Ford Performance Racing, I think or pull back from it. Um, and so a lot of the backing, a lot of the money wasn't there. And so I had a really tough year there. Um, um, basically, that year was, yeah, it was pretty interesting. It was pretty hard. I don't know how Jason made it through the year, to be honest with you. But um, And then so out of that, through a friend of mine, I met a guy named Daniel Sektoff. And Daniel... Um, wanted to sponsor me with Jason Bright's team and he wanted to help out because um, he had his own um, business called Transaction Business, like a um, sort of online transaction business for um, poker, online poker, excuse me. And um, basically he wanted to help out and the way it was going with Bridie, I was looking like he's going to close up shop and so I said to Bridie, like, what, what's happening, mate? What's going on here? And he said, "Oh, look, I'm closing up shop. I'm, I'll, I'll, you know, I have to go." Um, yeah, I think he nearly went bust, pretty much. So um, he went on to Stone Brothers. Yep. And I started up my own team, and I basically Daniel Zetkoff paid for every single cent of it, and my family didn't at all. Uh, Dad was looking to buy into Mark Larkin's team, and then he was looking to buy into DJR. Then he was going to buy into PWR, but that was just me talking him out of it. <laughs> <laughs> right. What, what yeah. was the scenario? What, what happened there? Uh, well, oh, like I get along all right now, but originally I didn't think that it was a fair deal, so uh, that was just the way I saw it, and like I saw it differently, and so then Dad pulled out of that, and then PWR. When we looked at that, like it, it takes a lot of money, a lot of effort, a lot of like we haven't got that sort of money. 
uh, he was dreaming, you know. But that, I think. One, that one PWR, mate, I remember there was a press conference at Winton, I think it was, announcing the sale. It was announced. It yeah. was in the magazines. It was externally a done deal. So did did you talk – was it you that talked your dad out of it after all that happened or what happened there? Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Yeah, I talked him out of it, mate. Wow. Because, well, for me alone, like, it was a bit of an ego thing going through my dad, I think. <laughs> Love him. But he's, he's been walking around the paddock like, you know, I'm buying this and I'm doing that and doing that. And all of a sudden, when I'm looking for a drive, I'm looking to talk to someone and get paid a salary or get paid for a contract or whatever's going to happen. It, uh, things don't look too good for me. People don't want to talk to you because they just want to talk to you about money, bringing money. You know what I mean? Mm, mm. But I was already on my own path, my own career path. And I was trying to make money out of the sport myself. Um, and when that element came into it, everyone looked at me differently. And um, it really affected the way things went in the sport. And I, I just, yeah, that's, that's just the way I see it. And um, it's a lot easier for your dad and parents to be in the background a bit more and not be so... Um, you know, involved. Mm. Yep. 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 So yep. The, the inter-racing thing on paper looked good. You got an X triple eight BF, which wasn't the latest model car, but it was a triple eight car. Um, you put together your own little team there on the Gold Coast, and then what happened? <laughs> what what went wrong? Oh, what happened? Tell me about it. Well, what I did, stupid me, the biggest one of the biggest mistakes I made in my career was saying no to Erwin. So I had Erwin Tools on board the next two years. Um, and I said to them, to Daniel Setkoff, I said, look, we've got Erwin Tools here. Um, um, do you want to, do you want to keep going with them? And he said, no, I don't. I've got my own product that I want to put on the car. So I said, oh, okay. There's a $1.5 million sponsor a year, you know, $1.5 million a year sponsor. Saying no to, so at Indy in 2007, uh, 2008, I sat down with the CEO of Erwin Australia and I told them I didn't need them. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I bet there's not too many people have done that before. No, or since. Yeah, yeah. So, and I was well and truly already immersed in their culture. Like, they'd really spent a lot of time um, on me and spent a lot of money on me and getting my profile out there with them internationally and, and nationally. And and so it was really growing. And if I'd kept them, I'd probably still be racing very supercars today. You, so, so, um, you parked a $1.5 million sponsor to yep. run this team for the bloke who was funding it, who wanted to put his own product on it, and within, what, four rounds or whatever it was, it all was in huge yep. trouble. Yeah, because... What happened? He he had it would he would have kept going too if he didn't get caught. He ended up in a, in jail in the US for fraud. So um, he basically single handedly brought down online poker. And he was American based, but he was Australian. No, he's an Australian guy. He's from Brisbane. Yep. Um, was he based yeah. over there? No, no, he should have been. <laughs> that's where his that's where his business went wrong because he'd started up a new business in Las Vegas. And 
we've been over there checking it all out and looking at it all. And I remember when I come home, I said to my partner at that time, I said to her, I said, he needs to stay over there and keep his eye on that because otherwise it's all going to fold. And I went home and we uh, we bought bought the latest triple A car, ordered a new um, whatever the FG I think it was at that yep. time. Yep. Ordered a new one, so we really, we put a deposit down. And it was being built. Um, we bought triple eight um, um, B double. Um, bought a HRT's prime mover. Set up a beautiful workshop on the Asheville on the Gold Coast. And mate, I had, I got everything that I wanted. Like I had the best of the best. Had the best engines. Bought two Kenny Mack six car engines, mm. hundred twenty five thousand US a piece. And um, I, I had it all. I seriously had the best of the best. I set up a little team with only sort of the boutique style now that everyone's doing. There's like seven guys, and then I'd just outsource everything else. Mm. And um, and then Daniel ended up in prison in the US and all the money stopped and it just stopped us completely because mm. I didn't have a prime sponsor on the car. I had um, I had um, Access Cash on the car, which was his brand, which hadn't even started yet in Australia. We were promoting a brand that wasn't even out yet. And you could have had Irwin for 1.5. Yeah, I had Irwin and that's all I needed was that money to keep going for that season. I was, I was home and hose because those days I was getting close to nine hundred thousand a year through the franchise in. So, you know, I had plenty of money there. Mm. Those sponsors and the other sponsors we had to run a car full time. So then I ended up halfway through the year, everyone else had already signed all the enduro deals, so I ended up with no enduro race for two thousand and nine. And then couldn't get myself a full drive in 2010 because I'd been out all year. And then, so, yeah, then I um, went on to DJR in 2010, Enduro. I was going to say, too, mate, with that, um, the inter-racing team, there was a, a period where you tried to keep going. I think Sharon was on the car down in Tassie and uh, you got to the situation in Townsville where you were there, but the car didn't go on the track. Clearly, the money had dried, yep. so it was hard to pay the bills. W- were there any possible chances that there was a, a a white knight that could have taken it over, or stuck some money in, or got it going, or was it just a case of everywhere you looked, there was no help, and this thing was straight down the gurgler? No, yeah, I did a deal with oh. the devil. You did yep. what? What did you do? I did, a de- did a deal with the devil. I did a deal with um, Sharon Rental, <laughs> and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but. Um, did a deal with him, and he was just to buy. the The debt for the team was three hundred seventy five thousand. Mm-hmm. So if you had three hundred seventy five grand, you could have bought that whole thing. And they, they were license, were the do license for it. Yep, they were done. Yep. They were going to pay out all the all all the debt side, which was one hundred twenty thousand was air conditioning in the factory. They said to the boys, "You can either have hoist or air conditioning." They said air conditioning, <laughs> <laughs> so put in aircons in there for them, and um, and the others was wages and bits and pieces. It was three hundred seventy five grand, which isn't a lot of money for what was left there as assets. It was a one point five million dollar franchise, which two years later sold for four million. Um, by the way, mm. we had the transporter, brand new car, a car with a deposit on it, 
add all bits and pieces, spare gearboxes, two brand new, you know, quarter of a million dollars worth of engines. Oh, mate, there was, let's say, oh, a bit over $2 million of stuff there for 375 grand. And I said to the guy, please promise me and shake hands with him and everything. And he said he won't do it. You're not going to go into um, be at supercars and tell them that you're buying it for a dollar. Which, you know, just buying the company for a dollar. Mm. It doesn't. And um, none of the creditors get paid out. And he said, no, no, yeah, promise. So I didn't go that day to the meeting. But that's what he did. And so they all just told him to get stuff. So did, did you think that – did you go and try to do this yourself maybe and go, right, if I can find – Nearly four hundred k. I'm going to have have a team. Oh, I went everywhere, mate. I tell you, I couldn't find anyone. Even no when, when, a, when a franchise was worth and earning what it was earning back then, um, you know, a small team. Uh, the problem, the problem, the problem with it is, it's a going concern. Yeah. So you got to turn up at the next round. Or it's cost you one hundred and fifty anywhere from fifty. Yeah, that's right. Mm, mm. Yeah. So. Um, we didn't want that, and no one else wanted that. But then, yeah. So, but Sharon was already sponsoring it. But yeah, anyway. So, it ended up getting. Um, we couldn't turn up. Well, we turned up at Townsville, and we owed a little bit of money to Kenny Mack Engines, and then I owed money to Roll, not me, but the team owed money to Roll and Dane. So then, um, Roland had our engine, our good engine, in his truck. So we're sitting there at Townsville with no engines, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Daniel owes all this money, and so I paid for everyone's flights. Paid for, it started coming out of my pocket, the accommodation, and everything for that weekend, and then we couldn't race, obviously. So I um, packed everything up and went home, mate. Mm. Yeah, and then I think the the assets were sold off and auctioned off, and. That was that. That yep. was into racing, run and done. Yep. I was going to say too, mate, that the, the the bit that followed was, as you mentioned before, uh, an endurance drive with DJR with, with Stephen Johnson in 2010. You drove with uh, Michael Caruso at, at GRM in 2011. So, uh, you know, GRM had, had backed you through Formula Ford early in the days with the, the program that they had and you end up driving with them. But that's 10 years ago that you last raced a supercar. You, you sort of went away for a bit. You did a bit of GT racing um, with the the Kanduris boys in a Porsche and a, a bit of Audi stuff and some some twelve hour, but I think it's well, it's ten years since you raced a supercar and it's probably what are we at now four since you did the twelve hour. So uh, have you yeah, got wow. have, you, have you still got the love of racing? Or I've spoken to a lot of guys over the journey who end up out of it at the other end who they're done with it. They move on. They've got other things in their life, their business, their family. Um, just other stuff to do and, and to, to put their energy into. And some of them get a resentment to the sport. Do you have a resentment to the sport or do you still love it but you're just off doing other things at the moment? Well, I did there for a while because I tried so hard and um, things didn't go exactly. Not not as planned, that's the problem. Is the way I look back at it now, you've got to look at it all and go, you know what? Oh, I had a I had a bloody good go at it and um, – but you got to look at it and say, well, I didn't have that body of experience or someone behind me, that voice that said, like classic example is Will Davison and Alex Davison. You know, they've got Richard Davison who 
Richard is fast, man. <laughs> he's still faster than you say, you know, and and he knew what to do with those boys. And I did, like, and some of the teams I went for, I could have driven V8, the damn good teams, I tell you. And I could have been full-time and I still would be if I'd made the right career choices. But I sort of stuck with the open wheel thing and then went with the champ car thing and that damaged me a bit. I sort of fell out of it a little bit, but not too much. But then 06 was a bad decision. So I started to get a bit, Resent, not resentful, but it's hard because once you get to the top of the sport like that, you can't win every weekend. You can't be in with a chance to win every weekend. So the more the higher the level you go at, the more professional you get, the harder it gets, the harder it gets to win, the harder the satisfaction comes along, and the more the bitterness comes in and your resentment to the sport. And you lose your way in for the love of it. I think that's the best way to explain it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you put a so, lot of energy in, and you know, you, you want to get something back out of it. When it's not coming your way, it, it's hard to keep getting back up off the canvas and keep swinging. Yeah, that's it. And now going through it all full cycle, I'd go back again. Even if I was in that situation and I was the best situation I could be in, obviously at the time, I wouldn't be resentful. Not that I was bitter or anything or twisted about it all, but. I would be in a different headspace I'd see now. Mm. I would be for sure doing it all over again. But that's, everyone would say that, I suppose. But, yeah, no, look, I'm not bitter and twisted about it anymore. I'm, I'm, I love the sport. And I'll tell you, if I want to go my racing again, I'll go and do Formula Ford. <laughs> <laughs> Back to where so it that's, started. That, that's what's coming next. Nice. So, so have we yeah. just got a headline, Marshall for Formula <laughs> 4 comeback? Uh, not, 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 not yet. this year. Soon, soon. Not yet, yeah, soon. But that's, that's the plan, mate. Yeah. yeah. Those blokes and girls in that category are old enough to be your kids. It's, yeah, uh, I know. I'd love to go and beat them too. <laughs> I love it, mate. Hey, hey I've got a, we've got a segment on our podcast. It's called What's in Your Cupboard? It's thanks to our mates at themotorsporttrader.com who keep your motorsport moments alive. Luke and his team um, deal in motor racing memorabilia in panels and doors and wheels and bonnets and all sorts of stuff from supercars and GT cars. Have a look at their website, uh, themotorsporttrader.com, and check out some of the, the stuff that they've got there. I wanted to ask cool. you, what have you got from your career that you've kept? Is it are you, Some guys love keeping their helmets and don't let them go anywhere, race suits, memorabilia. Are you a bit of a hoarder or did you not keep anything? What's your, what's your collection or non-collection like? Uh, collection's not too bad. It's sort of, it was mum and dad's really, but that is my, it was my trophies and stuff like that. But um, I'd have to say my British F3 win. <laughs> you still got the trophy? Still the trophy, mate. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. That'd have to be. Um, that'd have to be. I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one, yep. we, one we didn't talk about a great deal. The A1 Grand Prix thing. Uh, that was mm. that was one of those. I think Will Davison had a crack. Will Power had a crack. Briscoe had a go. Um, Christian Jones. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot of guys having a go. Yeah. How'd, how'd you find that series? Because it was a strange one where you you got boned from one team Australia and you popped up at the other one. I know. How's that? <laughs> and, oh, that was awesome. Though. That was. I mean, same make chassis and and uh, it, was, it was sort of very champ carish, I guess, as well. 
bit in that environment where one team sort of had the niche on on, on the rest and set up and stuff. But but um, no, that was a great experience, it really was, it really was. I got to race against um, Josh Verstappen. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He was driving the yeah, Dutch car. He was in the Dutch car, and he was in the wet. He's the coolest dude. So funny, funny bugger. And um, that was that was a highlight. That's for sure. And there was a podium there, I think, too. I looked up the other day. Uh, there you were uh, in – was it wet or was it – I don't know what was going on. Central, it was probably humid <laughs> in Indonesia. No. It's, it's, it's a warm place. Yeah, no, it was dry. It was wet, and I think I was P2 in the wet. I'd never been out in the car before in my life. Didn't, never sat in it, nothing. Turned up there, and it was torrential wet, man. <laughs> like uh, tropical wet. And um, P2, Verstappen was – First or third or something like that. I was up in the have a, a in the media box having a chat with him, and and I got to know him a bit over that weekend. That was pretty cool. And um, and then the main race was yeah we finished P three, which would have been even better again if I'd known where the boost button was. Because <laughs> 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 they had a they had a yeah they had a power to pass button. And um, I'd never, I didn't even know I'd have one in the car until they told me on the radio with like three laps to go. They're going, use your power to pass, use your power to pass. What power to pass? This is a button on the steering wheel, button on the steering wheel. So, oh, well, it must be the only button there that uh, doesn't do anything. <laughs> I was pressing this thing and I still had more power to pass to go when I finished the race. <laughs> Pace to do your homework. If you you drive yeah. your steering wheel before you step into a new car, you got to do that. Yeah, homework. true. You never know. I didn't. Should I? Should oh. I? You're right. Oh well. Uh, hey, mate. Before you're we right. go, we've got our um, National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions. Uh, the museum up at Mount Panorama actually has got one of the old Team Australia uh, champ car show cars sitting up there mm. um, at the mountain, which um, I remember Max Wilson. Is it a Rainer? Uh, it's a Reynard, but it's a show car Reynard. It wasn't one of the race car chassis, but um, yeah, um, yep. I remember Will, uh, Max Wilson driving one of those around the mountain at one of those Easter Bathurst festivals. I don't think the Dipper was too. Might kind. have been the one. Might have been the one that I drove through Brisbane City. Fair chance. Fair chance. Yeah. If you ever come across anyone out there that's got some footage of that or photos, let me know, hey, or well, let Aaron know. <laughs> was that, the, that that was the week of of Gold Coast Indy? Was it in '05? Oh five, that's right. Yeah, I got to drive from this pub just before the bridge goes across South Bank, and basically they had the whole highway closed off for me. <laughs> just me and a high patrol car, and I was in the in the champ car, and I drove that thing into the city. And then there was people. It was a Friday afternoon, and there was people just hanging out of windows, balconies, and off the side, and barriers up. And I just got to do skids in a rain arc. As much as I wanted for uh, 40 minutes. <laughs> well, if anyone's got vision of, of their handicap, it's probably a bit – oh, no, mobile phones were starting to take video around that era. Yeah. Um, or some photos. Let us know. Send us a note through uh, through socials yeah. and we'll, we'll pass them on to Marcus to, to have a look at. Uh, another question here, mate, from Brock Gain, who's a, a regular listener. Uh, what caused you to crash out at Bathurst in 2006? Now, that's the Glenford's uh, Crookshank Falcon, and I think you had a – you had a big one at the top of the mountain, did you not? Oh, yeah, did I what? That, that, uh, we had Jonathan Webb. That was his first weekend or first Bathurst 1000 with us. And um, that car was just not right. Never never was. And it was terrible and sad. The poor kid. 
thrown into the, into the corner. Like I was already running down the back in the car. And when we put him in the car, um, the leaders were getting close. And so then they started to lap him. And then he got in a tussle like by a lap car or something. Something that happened. And <clears throat> bent the suspension on the car and then put us out for 20 or 30 laps until we fixed it. And then we fixed it and they sent it back out. They sent me back out. So really do we have to go back out to that old thing, you know? And, uh, yeah, we have to for the sponsors, mate. And they just want to go around and around. So our car will go around 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 and drive around 80%. So I was really just driving around at 80% and we were like 20, 30 laps down. And um, I was going up through McFilmy and the thing just stepped out in the rear. And I mean, like, not stepped out. It just slid away from me, like, as if, like, I hit oil or something. And um, massive crash. Uh, yeah, that was a big impact. Um, and then they basically, Jamie, actually, Jamie Winkup and Will Davison found footage on YouTube of some guy who'd taken footage of from the filming on the crowd from, from the um, grandstand there. Um, that this, you can see this oil or this fluid comes out from underneath the car at first gets onto my right rear of my tyre, and that's what put me into the wall. Well, maybe it's the same guy who took the vision who might have vision of you doing skids in the champ car. He, he might be <laughs> might have been across that as well. We'll have to keep an eye out. He might have been. He might have been. <laughs> we'll, he might keep, have been. we'll keep an eye out for that one. Um, Thomas Wade's got a, a good question here. What's your favourite memory from your, your time in champ car, and did you ever try and look at maybe uh, trying to get yourself a seat in the IRL or the IndyCar series as it was, was called by that stage? Oh, favourite memory, so many of them, but favourite memory would have to be the rookie session at Las Vegas. And I'd seen the footage of Mario from the year before in the rain army hold a flat for one lap. And I knew you can do it on green tyres because we had big wings in those days. So, so that we had, we had a lot of downfall. And this so is, that was, was Mario. Very, very doable. Was that Mario Haberfeld who'd been driving for the year before? Yes. Yeah, yep. Yes, Mario Haberfeld. Not Andretti, um, by the way, for anyone wondering. No, yeah, that's right. Should got that clarify that things then. But um, yeah, and basically, highlight moment was rookie session. I knew on greens so I had to do it and just hold it flat the whole way around Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and I did it the whole lap. And the satisfaction of that is just incredible. And the speed that was um that was a hell of a weekend that one. <laughs> Any chance of, of having a look at IRL or the, the IndyCar series at that time, or was it kind of, oh, we'll go back to Australia? Uh, oh, I, yeah, I, I went and watched the Indy 500 that year, and it scared the hell out of me, that's for sure. I was thinking, <laughs> wow, this stuff's crazy, man. <laughs> but um, I would have loved to have done the Indy 500, and I would have loved to have raced in IRL, but it was very much a much muchness at the time with Champ Car World Series and IRL. It was like, oh, who was going to go move forward? And the only one, the only big thing that IRL had was the Indy 500, really. That's all it needed. Um, that's all it needed. That's all it needed. Mm. Yeah, that's all it needed, mate. It kept them together. Other than that, that's why the Champ Car World Series didn't really survive, you know. Um, but um, NASCAR would have been just, should have, I should have went and had a look at that. That would have suited me. For some reason, I really clicked with the Oval. And oval racing and NASCAR and being a tin top, I really should have had a go at that, but I never did. But that's life. Yeah, 
That's life. Yeah, that's life. Yeah, you, can't do everything. Okay, eh? yeah. I only missed out like two, two of them. I think I didn't do all oh, three of them: IRL, NASCAR, or Formula One. The only three I didn't do. You tick the box on just about everything else, uh, from RX4 yeah. Club Car to Champ Car. I think it's a pretty good progression. There's no one else I can think of in world motor racing that's uh, gone from that car to that car in that space of time. So, mate, uh, thoroughly thanks for, for sitting down with us. We would have loved to have done it in person, but the, the phone's kind of been the, the next best thing. It's been a great career to, to look back on some of the stuff that you've done. And uh, as you've said, Look, there's probably a few regrets and a few different forks in the road that you could have picked a, a different decision that might have taken you to another place, but um, that's the nature of life, isn't it, mate? You only you can only make one the decision once and on the best available info at the time, but you've driven some cool cars, you've done some cool stuff that a lot of other people can't say that they've done, so... Um, yeah, no, no regrets at all, mate. No regrets. Well, we will get that press release ready for your comeback in Formula Ford in the next 12, <laughs> 18 months. We look forward to seeing you at a, a track somewhere soon. And uh, thanks for sitting down with us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks. thanks. Appreciate it. There you go. Marcus Marshall, part two on the V8 Salute podcast powered by Repco. Big thank you to Marcus for taking some time on the phone in recent weeks to have a chat about his motorsport journey. Uh, don't forget website get on it v8sleuth.com.au sign up to our newsletter follow us on socials on facebook and twitter and instagram our online bookshop is the place to go if you're looking for gifts for christmas for father's day birthdays well just a gift for yourself even go to the website bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au we have some discounted books some brand new stock and a whole pile of old favorites as well so check it out it's bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au we really appreciate your support because you buying our books and books that we sell of other motorsport uh, titles through our store helps us fund what we do with podcasts and all the content on the website so thanks for your support continue to back us and we will continue to punch out material anyway we're done BHS with podcast powered by Repco is run and one for this episode don't forget Repco Supercars weekly every Tuesday for the latest in the Repco Supercars championship and we'll be back with another episode of the main pod next Wednesday <laughs>